The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Foreign policy update in Ireland. Addressing Americans who want a revolution. Why liberal outrage over Justice Kennedy is an opportunity. And why judging by labels will always lead you astray. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze Radio Network, where you come for the action, but you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful, blessed week. I hope you all had a, a very happy Independence Day on Wednesday. Yes, it is Independence Day, not 4th of July. And I've got a jam-packed show for you today. And it's going to annoy you on many different levels, but let's get into it. I want to start and lay the foundation, as I have been doing over the last few weeks, of sharing a bit of history with you, and actually talking to you about an issue in foreign policy that is going to come up over the next maybe 18 months, two years, three years, four years, and it has the potential to be an explosive one, because one, because of the history, but two, because very few people are discussing it, and three... Because so few people are actually discussing this issue, it's going to catch a lot of people off guard. And it's an issue I'm very familiar with. And it's a country I am very, very familiar with, sadly. The nation in question is Ireland. Let me give you a brief history in in a snapshot. Um, When I give snapshots of history, I know I'm leaving out a lot of stuff. Some people gave out to me over the last couple of weeks going, you you left out all this. I know I'm leaving out a lot of history. I'm just trying to give you a snapshot in case you don't actually have a feel for the nation in question or, or for the point I'm trying to make. History is very complex. I get that. Irish history is very, honestly, for me, it's very dull and boring. It's a battle... Um, the Irish people are good people. They've been had tyrants rule over them forever. And one of the last tyrants to rule over Ireland was the great, ki- great kingdom of England, great the great British Empire. And they ruled over Ireland with a with an iron fist. They ruled over Ireland the way they ruled over England that made you cause a revolution. They ruled over Ireland the way they ruled over Scotland, over Wales, over other countries. You didn't question them. The king was almighty and all-powerful. And the Irish Revolution took place, and they said, we want to get the Brits out, was effectively what their slogan was. The Irish Revolution was about two words. Home rule. You see, to the Irish people who were fighting back in the early 1900s, and going back even further than that, they didn't really care about liberty versus tyranny. They just didn't like being ruled by the Brits. They didn't like being ruled by someone who wasn't one of their own. They never talked about liberty. They never talked about individual rights. They never spoke about the role of government. They didn't have your Declaration of Independence, which we'll be coming to later on in the show. 
The Irish had a simple thing. They wanted to be ruled by an, an Irishman. If that Irish man had come in and said, I'm going to do exactly the same as the king did, they would have been okay with it. Because there's some relief in the Irish mindset, in the Irish psyche that says, well, if I'm ruled by an Irishman, that's better than being ruled by an Englishman. Even if they do the exact same thing, say the exact same thing, act the same way, talk the exact same you know, rhetoric, but they're Irish, that's good. Now, people always get upset with me, because, in, especially in America, because there's this myth in America that, well, the Irish were great freedom fighters. They weren't. They just wanted Britain out. You can go back, and if, you, if this is a topic you're interested in, and you want to go see it, go look for all the, the, the ruling and the posters and the propaganda from the Irish Revolution. It's all about home rule. You'll see that term over and over and over again. But you know how, you know, sometimes people say, well, John, look, that was what they were before the revolution. Okay, they didn't have the the setting the founders had. But, you know, when they got power, they, they were about liberty and tyranny. They were great free. No, they weren't. Literally what they did, in effect, was they got the British laws, you know, the British common law, to give it its exact title, and they brought it over to Ireland, and, and effectively what they did was they got Tipex, even though Tipex wasn't existing in the day, but effectively everywhere it said England and Great Britain or the Empire, they just been in Ireland. Laws were the same. Tyranny was the same. There was no great conscious revolt of, you know, let's examine man's relationship with man and man's relationship with his government. Should man be free? What type of government should we have? They have the exact same system as England does. They have a parliamentary system just like England does. Now, fast forward over the last 60, 70 years, effectively what happened in Ireland was there was this big revolution and there was guerrilla war tactics by people like Michael Collins and heroes that you might have named. Michael Collins is obviously the big one. Eamon de Valera was, was very much part of it. And the English were having other issues overseas and they said, you know what, we need to negotiate with you. We want to negotiate. And effectively what they did was they made an offer to Michael Collins of the 26 counties. They wanted the six counties up in the north. One of the reasons was because of Belfast and the shipping. That's where a lot of the shipping was. Uh, And Michael Collins accepted it. Which is why you have Ireland. uh, Some people call it Southern Ireland. It's not just Ireland. Of 26 counties. And you have Northern Ireland of six counties. Which is, our counties is what we call a state. Well, that's been going on. For the better part of a hundred years now. And there's always this this uncomfortable feeling of the troubles up the north. If you listen to the news, Bill Clinton was very instrumental in a lot of these conversations where in the nineties when he was president, he was over there quite a lot. He met with Bertie Ahern, who was the Irish uh, Prime Minister, the Irish Taoiseach, uh, and Tony Blair. You saw a load of pictures and John Major, and they came to the Good Friday Agreement talks. And basically they helped you know, you can think about what about their policies and what about how they would do things. They brought a lot of people to the table. They brought all the parties in the north up the table. The parties up the north are Sinn Féin, which is, is also down the south, which is the party that's been heavily linked to the IRA, the, the terrorist group, the IRA. And they are very Catholic and very, we want to pro-32 counties. And you have different parties like the DUP up the north, which is very pro-union, i.e. not the union of the 32 counties, the union in England. And there's this revolt of, well, how do you get the six counties back? How does you make a united Ireland? 
then the unionists up there obviously don't want it. They like being part of Britain. Even though right now the unionists in Northern Ireland are very unhappy with Britain because of Brexit. Northern Ireland voted to leave or to start to stay within the European Union. So there's a lot of tensions involved. The Catholics and the Sinn Féin people have not been very subtle about their overall plan for Northern Ireland. They openly broadcast it at different times. And their plan to get a united Ireland is very simple. It's not win an argument. It's not make the case. The, the argument is this. We're Catholics. By general statistics, which you can get, the other side is Protestants. We breed faster than you do. We have more kids. So literally what we're going to do is we're going to breed you. And we're going to get to a point where we'll hit a tipping point where when we get to at least 50% plus one, because that's what's important in a democracy, we're going to call for a referendum on the 32 counties. And we'll call it when we get to that 50% plus one. And then we'll have a united Ireland because we have more people voting than you do. And it's up to us to get our people to vote. That is the plan for United Ireland. That's going to cause a lot of troubles. A lot of people ask me my opinion on Ireland and whether I would stand for United Ireland or not. First off, this is where I'll annoy some people. Really, I'm conflicted on the issue. One, as a, you know, as a historian, you know, not a historian, but as someone who loves history, do I see the sense of pride of United Ireland and going back to the way it was pre-English war and the English, the revolution against English? Sure, I can see the, the allure of that. I can see the, you know, United. I used to be a very pro-32 countries. I used to be very pro, you know, uniting Ireland back when I was a lot younger, when I was interested in Irish politics. When I was, you know, uh, thinking about these things in a different way, when I was thinking about it from politics. But I also have some major reservations. Regardless of what they think up the north of the Unionists and of the Sinn Féin people, if someone told me all of a sudden I would belong to a different country, I think that's a big fundamental change that you you really have to make the case for not simply, you know, let's outbreed you and have more kids to you and then force our will on yours. But here's where I get majorly conflicted. Or where I actually lose all interest. Because once again, in Ireland, there is this myth that says, my tyrant is better than your tyrant. The reason I don't have much interest in, or a side, quote-unquote, in the issue up the north is, is because I look at the state of the Irish government, I look at the state of the English government, and I look at the state of the Northern Ireland Parliament, the Northern Ireland Assembly, and I look at a government and the way they think and the way they act, and the rhetoric they use, and quite honestly, I don't like any of them. Once again, I am the person who is sitting on the sideline, does not have a side, but will get lambasted from all sides for not having an opinion. My opinion is, option D or E or F or whatever amount of options there are, I choose none. I choose liberty for all. I choose freedom for all. I do not want to coerce or get my will on top of someone else or impose it on someone else because I am no more able to tell anyone else how to live, whether you're Irish, whether you're English, or whether you're Northern Ireland, whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant, whether you are Sinn Féin or an Orange Man. 
This idea that I am somehow more virtuous than you, that I can tell you how to live, is getting really tiresome to me in this world. And once again, I'm going to pee a lot of people off by going, yeah, I don't have a side. This world will wake up when it understands, my tyrant may be better than your tyrant, but we can put lipstick on that pig all day long, but my guy is still a tyrant. And when it comes to tyrants, I don't side with any of them. Whether you're Irishman, Englishman, American, Jewish, Israeli, Australian. And all these labels don't mean anything to me. I won't side with tyrants. What I will be is the person who stands for liberty. The man who stands alone sometimes, hackled all the time, insulted virtually daily mocked looked down upon insulted for someone who just always is an ideologue or a damned optimist and the guy who'll always stand for principles if my side wants to enforce their will on the other side i'm sorry i, I i'm no longer with that side and that's what you have in ireland now this situation isn't imminent as in this is going to be made in headline news in the next couple of weeks or even the next couple of months. But the Sinn Féin party, which is the big, you know, party for a uniting Ireland, because they they have members in both parliaments, have new leadership. They're very progressive. They have now have a, a female leader down south and a female leader up the north. And they've started to hint at we're getting close to a referendum. I'm sharing this story one to make an overlying point about tyrants. And two, to give you the heads up that when you start seeing this in the news, and I'll keep you up, up to date, but when you start seeing this in the news, it won't be a shock to you. You'll think back to July, the start of July and John talking about it. You'll be more aware of this issue than 99% of other people because a lot of other people are not paying attention to it. I'll finish up by making one last point. Some people don't like my use of the word tyrants. I've called Republican people in America tyrants at times. Because in their head, when they think of a tyrant, they think of some really bad person. Not a good person with good intentions. Who just happens to rule as a tyrant. Look, we can make up all the defenses and the excuses we want. In my eyes, if you're imposing your will on someone else, you're a version of a tyrant. You may not be a hard tyrant like King Jong- Kim Jong-un in North Korea, or the hard tyrants in the terrorist group, in like Hamas or Hezbollah, or the hard tyrants in the theocracies in Iran. You may be a more amenable tyrant, a soft tyrant, you know, a loving tyrant. We can capture whatever words you want. At the end of the day, if you're seeking to impose your will on someone else, you're a tyrant of some description. I'm sorry if that offends you. It's just the way I see it. That is the history of Ireland. When we come back, I want to talk to you about your history and your revolution. Because there's certain things that need to be addressed every week, but especially this week where you celebrated Independence Day. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. 
the Glenn Beck program. We're all just making everything about politics. And it's not. Is your life really about politics? Why are we spending so much time on politics? Look at the conversations that we could be having. Look at the money that is being spent to destroy one side or the other. What a waste. This is the country that is currently still changing the world. This is who we are? It's not who we are, and we know it. The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, this show is released at 12 noon Eastern on all major platforms, including SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Omni FM, and we're now also on CastBox. Please consider checking us out, sharing with your family and your friends. We're growing each and every week, and I really appreciate you and all your support over the last couple of months. So this week... Last Wednesday, you celebrated Independence Day. Not the 4th of July, Independence Day. And there was a poll that I saw last week that I want to talk to you about. A poll that said, roughly 31% of voters said they believe it's likely the US will enter or experience a second civil war within the next five years. Of those, 11% said they think a civil war is very likely, quote-unquote. There are always calls, and I've, I've dealt with this issue in the past, but I, I think this time it it's needs to be dealt with again. This, these people who, on both sides of the aisle, think it's time for you know, a new revolution. I've seen it on both sides for the last five, six years. There are people who honestly believe a new revolution is needed in America. And that's my great fear. My great fear is that you have another revolution and you've stopped being exceptional. Because in so many ways, history has been taught differently in the last 50, 60 years. Your history has been whitewashed to make it seem it's something it's not on all sides. There are sides in history who want to paint America as just all good, And there are people who want to paint American history as all bad. The truth is it's somewhere in between. America is an exceptional nation, but it is not perfect. You know, if you want me to sit down and talk to you about all the things you have done bad, I can do that all you want. You know, I don't know anyone who knows history that goes, well, you know what? You know what? The Battle of Wounded Knee, that was a great day in American history. Most people I know who understand history know That was a really, really bad day to be an American. That was a really bad day. There is no defending it. You know, you look at SWAT, slavery. Slavery is always the big issue that people look back on. Slavery is, there is no way to paint slavery as a good thing in America. But those who want to slam America for slavery always seem to forget certain facts like slavery is a human condition, not an American one. It wasn't created by an American. It wasn't created by those greedy capitalists who signed the Declaration of Independence. They never want to paint paint and share the facts of how, you know, slavery in the grand scheme of things didn't last that long in America. It lasted too long. One day of slavery is too much. But you look at, you know, empires like England who had slavery for 300 years, 
It's a lot different. You look at going back in further in history to when slavery wasn't a race thing, it was a religion thing. You look at the, the Israelites as slaves. You look at all the, the trials and tribulations they had. It is a human condition. Man seeks to control another man. Ty- tyranny. But there's also this aspect of history which has forgotten is when I say to my friends who understand history, even conservatives and you know people who think they know American history, I always say, well, talk to me about the American Revolution. Who did you fight? You know, every time you see these videos, I'm sure you've seen them over the years, about, you know, who did America fight its revolution against? And they're always looking for the same answer. They're always looking for the answer to British, the Hessians. They're always looking for, that's who you declared your independence from. The truth is so much deeper than that. Because the English didn't play a big role in your revolution. They were just a, a little actor on the side. They are a footnote. They, they just happened to be the face and the army that you fought. But if you think the American Revolution was purely about fighting from Britain, you're doing the American Revolution a great disservice. The American War was only a small, small fraction. The American Revolution was about redefining man's relationship with man and man's relationship with his government. That is the real revolution that happened. That is one of the reasons you're exceptional, that you're unique, that you're different. You were you could have been like Ireland, or well, Ireland would have been like you. Or you could have been like France, where you just went, yeah, we just want the Brits out. We just want the Brits out. We want to rule ourselves. And, you know, some people have pointed out, you know, the common theme of, well, the Irish wanted home rule, America had no taxation without representation. There's some similarities there, but America went a lot further. You read your Declaration of Independence, you understand why they went a lot further, how they went a lot further. You read the Declaration of Independence of other nations who have fought a revolution. You cannot compare any of them to the American Declaration of Independence, and there's a reason why. The reason why is America just didn't say what they were against. You read the Declaration of Independence, there's 27 mutations against the king, 27 things I hate about you, 27 reasons why I am breaking up with you, 27 reasons why I want to kill you. But you notice their location on that wonderful document, it's halfway down. You got to do a lot of reading till you get to the first point of, hey, here's why I don't like you. The American Revolution, the American founders, Thomas Jefferson, that evil slaveholder, wrote that document in large part telling us what we are for. They are for all men being created equal. If you truly believe in slavery, those words don't cross your mouth. Hell, there's a lot of people today who don't even understand what slavery is, through ignorance and not reading history, who don't even understand the words, all men created equal. That is a great phrase. That is a great principle that in truth, in, even to 2018, 242 years after your founding, no one in the world has ever truly gotten No one has ever truly practiced it, but it is something we still strive for, or that we maybe should strive for, that all men are created equal. If you truly believe all men are created equal, how can one man tell another man how to live and still be consistent with that overriding principle? 
that you have certain rights, you are born with them. Government does not give you these rights, you are born with them. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Or the original writing, life, liberty, and property. And that the role of government is not to give you rights, is not to to be the grantor of these rights. The role of government is to protect these rights. That is why the American Revolution was exceptional. And there's only one revolution like it. Now, in case you're thinking, well, that's just some Irishman's opinion. Well, it'd be funny that because a lot of my opinions are heavily influenced by... Oh, who are those? Oh, yeah, the founders. If I may quote, you know, your second president of the United States, John Adams. What do we mean by the revolution? The war? That was no part of the revolution. It was only an effect and a consequence of it. The revolution was in the hearts and minds of people before a drop of blood was shed. That was John Adams. The revolution, the American Revolution was an idea. It was an idea that man is meant to be free. That man is not meant to be put in chains, whether it is actual change or whether it is chains by law. Whether you just hold them back. Whether you judge them. They saw what was happening around the world. Some of them escaped from different places or had ancestors who did. Where even to this day in 2080, you are judged by some label. What class system do you belong to? What education do you have? What's your race? What's your gender? What's your sexuality? You can be judged positively or negatively, even to this day on them. They understood that that type of slavery was all too common, and they said, enough of us. You see this in constant people who fight for freedom in America, where the late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King spoke of, I want to live in a country where I am judged by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. We still have that battle today. How many people actually seek to be judged by the content of their character? Or do we like these labels? You saw this in many other times throughout history where people want to be judged. People want to be free. That is man's ultimate aim, is freedom. Your revolution was all about giving that freedom, fighting for that freedom. It wasn't fighting against the British. You could have been fighting against the Eskimos. They are, it doesn't matter. Their part in the story is very minuscule. It's just, they're a footnote. They could have been fighting against the Chinese. They could have been fighting against the French. They could have been fighting against any other nation. They're only the footnote. The American Revolution was not about who you were fighting or what you were fighting against or the things you had against the king. It was what you were fighting for. A brighter tomorrow, a freer and more prosperous tomorrow where man is let to be free. Where you have the poem of the Emerald Lazarus, Give me your tired, your weak and your huddled masses. A poem that is so often destroyed by so many commentators today. That was the greatest slam on Europe and the rest of the world. It was saying, you know all those people you say can't make it? Oh, well, they don't have the right degree, or they don't have the right college, or they don't belong to the right race, or they don't have the right class. You know all those people you say can't do anything, who are just worthless, who are just a lumpen proletariat, to quote Karl Marx? You give me those people. 
You give me those people and I will give them an opportunity, an opportunity you wouldn't do. And look at their good works. Look at their deeds. They will achieve more than you will. And you have all the right pedigree, quote unquote. This is a battle that has been fighting for the longest period of time. And I have bad news for you. It will always be fought. We will never live in a world, and if anyone tells you, I believe they are lying to you. We will always fight in a world where one man or one person will look down on another person and go, I'm better than you because of, because of my size of my bank account. I'm better than you because I'm better looking than you. I'm better than you because I went to Harvard. You will always have people looking down on other people. It's not because it's an American thing or an Irish thing or an English thing. It is a human condition. We love looking down our noses at other people. The modern day version might be of how you vote. I'm better than you. I voted for Donald Trump. No, maybe. Maybe on that little blip. Congratulations. But you're not a better person than me because it's the content of my character that matters. There's a reason that people need to understand the French Revolution. So many people aspire today to the French Revolution. Even people in America because they haven't read history or they are ignorant of the history or they don't care. The French Revolution was all about, everyone thinks, you know, Americans, they look at the three labels of, in the French Revolution, liberty, oh, that's me, I like liberty, I, freedom, I like freedom. Where they fell apart was they fell apart on the third label, brotherhood, where it's my side, where it's all about my side, it's me and you, if you happen to share the same opinions as me, we're okay, it's we gotta get them, they're the problem. And there was no rooting of principles of freedom in the French Revolution. It was all about my side versus your side. Principles be damned. And either side imposed their will on other people. Except they just happened to enforce their will with the guillotine. If you truly want a revolution and you want America to be exceptional, hear this message, please. If you want a revolution, I'm not. it's not to me to say don't. I will be on the side of, it's not a smart idea, it won't end well. But if you truly believe that is the only salvation to your nation, that is the only way forward, then please start winning the argument. Start making the case of not what you're against. I am sick to death of my friends on the right and on the left. I look through my Facebook page several times a day. I have friends on all sides of different ideologies. I could count... 90% if I was to do a rough estimate in my head are telling me why they don't like the other side vast majority of my friends on the right are the Democrats suck the Democrats the Democrats are horrible people the Democrats are anti-Americans my few friends on the left Donald Trump I don't like him everyone loves to tell you what you're against if you truly want a revolution then follow america's failures don't follow what i am telling you follow the path of your founders and why you're exceptional forget what you're against forget the things you don't like sure write them down and put them down but before you tell me what you're against tell me what you are for tell me the things you will stand for the things that you think are eternal tell me how you want government to be run Tell me what you like. Tell me what defines you. Do you believe in all men create been created equal? Do you think all man has a certain amount of rights? Everyone, regardless of who you voted for, regardless of your class, your gender, your sexuality, or any other label that we put on you in society? Do you think you have certain rights? And if so, what are those rights? 
Start winning that argument. Start laying that foundation. Because if you truly believe in revolution, and that is the path you are following, and you don't make this argument, you're not going to be exceptional. You will not be America. You will not be the nation your founders set up. And the proof of that is the Declaration of Independence. Before we finish up and move on, I want to address an article just on a separate point. There's this article that's become viral over the last couple of years. And it's it's an unbelievably stupid article. And I rarely say that. There's this article in Vox about, you know, the three reasons the American Revolution was a mistake. They talk about slavery. They talk about Native Americans. And they're the first two reasons. The third reason is the system of government. They make the case for a monarchy. You know, there's this argument that happens, and I see it on all sides of the aisle, when it affects you. This argument was under Obama and it's now under Trump. In different circles. This idea that, you know, well, what we need is, you know, we need legislation to do their job. If Congress won't act, I will, was Obama's great line. The Constitution be damned. If Congress won't act, I will. We need to start making the case of why, you know what, if you read the Founding Fathers, and you read the way they set up government, it wasn't to act quickly. In fact, at some times, it was to act painfully slow. Really, really slowly. That's one of the reasons senators were given a six-year term. Because if you had a two-year term, and you just had the main body of Congress being elected every two years, you could have major changes in your legislation each and every two years. You could have quote-unquote wave elections. You could have populist movements who would come in and make major damage in two years and would take a long period of time to undo and to change. Your founders were not fans of policy that just happened to get over, done overnight. Are there times that policy should act quick? Sure, cases of war. You know, you, you know, if there's an enemy off the, the East Coast or the West Coast or attack is imminent, should legislation be quick? Depending on what the legislation is, sure. You know, you have to be, you have to respond. But the vast majority of legislation? No. Should be very well discussed. In fact, there was thoughts, and if you read enough of your founders' writings, of having a, a, a bill, I think it was the Jefferson Bill, where it had to be published before you could vote on so that people could read it. That was a discussion back in your founding father's day. Government is not meant to act quickly just because you want it to. Government is supposed to act painfully, painfully slow. It's supposed to deliberate, it's supposed to discuss, it's supposed to discuss it among itself, but the reason it's supposed to move slow is so that your citizenry can be engaged, that your people can be engaged. Especially today when you look at these laws, you know, of all the times to make the case for why government should move slow, of all the times, now is the time to make that case. Because you look at these omnibus laws that even the Republicans, you know, the great Republican Party, no. I'm not here to play that game, sorry. You look at the laws they pass, it's not like you can read them in a couple of minutes. You look at some of the budgets, you look at some of the reports, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 pages. Obamacare, I believe, is 2,200 pages long. 
You want a case where white government should move slow. That's the reason why. So that you can take time as you, because the laws affect you the most as people, that you can sit down and read them. And then if you're unhappy with it or you love it, you can make your voices heard. That is why they were different. America's founders were not perfect men. They had many flaws, and I disagree with many of them men on many different ideas and on many different acts they passed in legislature and in presidents. But you know what? When it comes to the Constitution and your founding documents, they're not perfect. But man, they're a very close second to being perfect. And we need to share why. Your founders were not dumb men. I would dare say you put America's founding fathers in the world today, in that legislature. There's not, I can't think of one person in the, in, who has served in the White House or in Congress over the last 30 years that would keep their job over America's founders, even though I disagree with fundamentally with some of what they wrote at different times. If you read enough of their writings and their papers, you will, you will have disagreements with some of them too. But they were smart men. And we need to share their legacy. We need to share, now more than ever, why your system of government was exceptional. We'll continue doing that right after this break. Don't go anywhere, America. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I'm as always. I'm on social media: Twitter at Freedom Disciple, Facebook Jonathan Dunn. Fifty eight. Drop me a message. Tell me I suck. Tell me I'm great. You know, whatever comments you you leave are always appreciated, and I always respond to them as much as I can. I want to finish off. I want to finish off this part of the show by just talking to you about America's government. It's you know it's Independence Day. We have major, if you believe in limited government or you believe the founders are right, even about 50% of the things, we have major opportunities in front of us today. Major opportunities. And I want to share why. And I also want to share through one of my biggest frustrations with social media and the way people act today. Two stories on how people got great fun out of over the last couple of, last week and this week. I saw so many of my friends on the on the right, quote unquote, the conservative friends, who were having great fun on social media when Anthony Kennedy resigned last week, when he stepped down. So many people were sharing some of the stuff that was been said by our friends on the left. And they were mocking them. They were having great fun. Saying, oh my God, you see this guy? He's losing his mind. You see what this girl wrote? Oh my God. There were funny memes going around. And, and they were funny. I'm not going to say they weren't. They were funny. I enjoy, just because I don't partake, I enjoy seeing people, you know, post stupid stuff online. It frustrates the hell out of me. I enjoy it for like six seconds. But then there was also this week, you know, apparently there's this comedian, and I know her face from something, but I, I don't ever watch TV, so I'm dreadful, and I definitely don't watch this type of TV. But there's a comedian called Chelsea Handler. Um, I recognize her face, but I, I don't know what she's done. 
And she tweeted yesterday to every country on the 4th of July, We're sorry about our president. He doesn't reflect all of our views. And we hope you know that the majority of us are ashamed. We will rally each other and come back to the world one step at a time. Sorry about the dog, hot dogs. November is coming. Hashtag. Huh. I saw a lot of people mock that as well and respond to that. Everyone wants to mock people. And I'm just going to focus in on my friends on the right here. Everyone loves mocking them. Mocking liberals. Do you see the opportunity that is in front of you right now? You're being presented with a great opportunity to have a discussion. I'm not going to say have a discussion with Chelsea Handler because she'll probably mock you or insult you or ignore you because that's generally what celebrities do, but with most people who are sympathetic to her worldview. There was also this poll that was released over, I think it was about a week ago. It was by Gallup, where it was the amount of people who are proud to be an American. One in three Democrats... Only one in three Democrats are proud to be an American. Whereas if you look at the Republicans, it's 74%. It's up 3% since 2013 if you're a Republican. It's down 24% if you're a Democrat. And it's about the same if you're an Independent. You saw all these polls. That was a Gallup poll. We have can get frustrated with this, or we can see it as a great opportunity. Let's go through them one by one. Justice Anthony Kennedy. It's easy to mock people. But is there anyone who would actually say, you know what? One person retiring and stepping down should have such a big influence on your life. The case for limited government, for small government, for the government your founding fathers said, is to anyone who's freaked out, regardless of your side, when someone holds power. If someone is holding power and you are freaked out, that's a case, that's an opportunity to have a conversation about limited government. Because if you truly have a limited government, one person leaving and stepping down won't affect you. Your whole, heck, your party could lose if you truly believe in limited government, it shouldn't affect you. If you follow the constitution, it won't affect you. It might have some impact on your life, sure. But it won't destroy your life. Your world won't come crumbling down. You can always get back into the ballot box in the next two years. Or four years if it's president or six years if it's senator. But one person stepping down should not make your world crumble and make you think the world is going to end. Regardless of what your ideology is. That fear is not healthy. To Chelsea Handler. Look, let's say Donald Trump did absolutely nothing good and was the worst president of all time. Should you share that tweet? No. Because America is different. Many people always wonder, especially when they're new to the show, they always go, this is one of the popular questions I get behind the scenes. You're an Irish guy. Why do you end the show the way you do? Why do you say that? Why do you say it each and every week? It's obviously very important to you that you've said it since day one, which I have. Even when I was on another network, I finished that show the exact same way. The reason I finished the show is because I believe in the sentiments of the Tocqueville. 
and I want you to share them and I want you to understand them. They're that critical to me. If you've forgotten or disagree with everything I have said in the four segments of this show, the last thing I want to leave you is the sentiments of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. America, you're not defined by your politicians. When I think of the America and I think of the American people, I don't think of who's in the White House. I'm sorry. I know there's probably someone going, there's John again going on his never Trump bandwagon. No. It's the same under Obama. It was the same under George Bush. It was the same under Bill Clinton. Didn't really remember, you know, the George Bush Sr. because I was, what, 10? I don't, don't remember Reagan because it was less and I just didn't understand America and news wasn't what it was. But I, I don't I don't think of a president. Heck, you know how much I love, love George Washington. If you're a long-term listener to this show, I think he's the greatest man that ever lived, with the exception of Jesus Christ. George Washington could be in the White House. I wouldn't think of him when I think of America. When I think of America, I think of your people. It's why you're different. It's because of your people. America is great because Americans are good. That regardless of who holds power, regardless of who sits in the White House, regardless of who controls the gavel in the in the House of Congress, regardless of who's the Senate Majority Leader, regardless of whatever nine idiots are on the Supreme Court, I don't think of America that way. I think of your people. I look at the good deeds your people have done. I try and think of other nations the exact same way, but it's a lot harder. Because Irish people, you can't think of that way because a large chunk of what we do is defined by our government. When you think of England, you don't think of the people. You you think of the great British Empire. You think of the monarchy. You think of the empire, the sun never setting. When you think of Iran, you, you might think of the old Shahs or you think of the Mullahs, the Ayatollah. When you think of different regions in the Middle East, you might think of a terrorist group. When I think of America, I think of your people and everything your people have done to make this world a better place. That's not fact, or that's not fiction, that is fact. I always say this to people, I always, if you think that America is not an exceptional nation or you want to prove why America is an exceptional nation, I give you any, you pick the sector of society. I'm not going to even influence you, you can pick any sector of society that you wish. Housing, food, communication, travel, leisure, medicine, whatever section of society you want. And let's just take an arbitrary point in time, which everyone agrees with. Zero AD, the, I, I would say the, you know, Christ. But everyone, if you believe today is 2018, you believe in Anno Domini, AD. Go from 0 AD to 1800 AD and look at the section of society you picked or multiple sections of society you picked and look at the advancement from 0 AD to 1800 AD. And now look at it from 1800 to today and the advancements. Why is that? Is that all because of America? No, but a large part of it is. Other nations have contributed. Other sets of people have contributed to it. But America has contributed by far the most because of this idea that man is meant to be free and that you have a right to pursue what makes you happy, what you are good at, and you have the right that if you're successful and you have make money, that you have a right to keep and enjoy the fruits of your labor, 
to reinvest it in your business or to spend it on, heck, you can spend it on a 60-foot yacht. People will eventually make 60-foot yachts and that will create jobs that you're, by effect, your spending is reinvesting into how you see fit. You have a right to pursue your happiness. That is why I think of your people. I think of all the great inventors. When I see people talking about the Obama economy or the Trump economy, I want to throw up. This is not about a politician. The economy is each and every one of you, the job creators, the people who had the balls to say, I have this idea and I think I can make it work. And not only do I think I can make this idea work, but I think I can build enough hype around it, enough buzz, enough razzmatazz that people will actually pay and part with their own hard-earned money to have my product or service. But I need people to do it. They're the people I think of. I think of the business creators. I don't think of a politician writing some tax policy, creating jobs, or or writing some legislation to create jobs. I think of your people. Your people is what makes you great. Look, if, if you think Donald Trump is Satan, I don't. I call balls and strikes on this show over ever how long he's been in office now. What is it, a year and six months, 18 months now in office? I've, I've highlighted, you know what I don't like about Donald Trump. You know what I, I give him credit for. I'm not, an, I'm never Trumper and I'm not an always Trumper. I think Ben Shapiro is a great term. I'm a sometimes Trump. When he's good, I'll call it. When he's good and he's bad, I'll, just, I'll point out why I think he's wrong and I'll point out the principles behind it. But I don't think of Donald Trump or anybody else as the, the head of the, the American government or the head of the America that they're the first person I think of. I think of your people. But let's just say he is Satan. If you're truly afraid of Donald Trump and who is Satan in your eyes, been in the White House, that is an opportunity to talk to you about federalism. Because here's the thing. Let's just focus on Donald Trump because he's the easy one the left hates so much. If you really are afraid Donald Trump is Satan, and you can't see one good thing he's done, if you think everything he has done in the last 500 plus days is pure and utter evil, well then there's the case to follow the Constitution. To have a conversation with you about Article 2 and the Constitution, which basically says the President is nothing more than a figurehead, who has no real power. There's There's an opportunity to have that discussion. Likewise, when it's a Republican in office, and if you're a Republican, to have that conversation. Article 2 power, very, very limited, very limited in scope. Effectively, the president is a figurehead who has no power. But let's say it goes deeper than Donald Trump. You're afraid of the GOP-led Congress. You know, you don't like Paul Ryan or whoever who's going to replace him in weeks or months whenever eventually he gets he leaves at the end of his term or whether he gets pushed before, whether it's Mitch McConnell. Okay, you're worried about the GOP-led Congress infecting your life. I'll have a conversation with you, and I'll only talk to you about one article. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. There are 18 clauses. There are 18 clauses of what Congress can and can't do. And if it's not in those 18 clauses, it goes to the states. Okay, Bridget, I'm upset about Anthony Kennedy. Okay, great, so am I. I'm not, but let's just play along here. So am I. Okay, well, the, the Supreme Court is not there to make laws. The Supreme Court is there to see if and judge, quote-unquote, if something is constitutional, which I go back to again, Article 2, Power of the Presidency, and Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution for Congress. 
If it's not in there, everything has to be gone to the states. It's unconstitutional by default. The case there and the opportunity is to make the case for limited government. What shoe road do you choose? Because everything you see and do in life, whether it's the smallest thing to the biggest thing, you have a road in front of you. We can mock the liberals and Democrats all day long, and we can mock them for the next four years. And sure, those people will create great memes and have a lot of fun and kicks and giggles. But what has what's changed? Or can we use this as an opportunity to go exactly? And may I say, even use it as an opportunity to build bridges of emotion with our liberal friends. To go, I get why you're upset with Donald Trump. I get that fear. I had that fear under Obama. That is why I'm for limited government. I felt, I was scared. I was ashamed of my country. Or whatever term that's relevant for you. I'm just saying, giving you all the options here. I, I didn't like my country. When I thought of Barack Obama in the White House. You don't like it because of Donald Trump. Hey, how about this? How about neither of us ever have to feel that again? And we go back and follow the Constitution? Because the founding fathers were exceptional. Going back to that Vox article. I was like, you know, well, monarchies are the best way. Laws should be passed quickly. No, your founding fathers were exceptional men. Who had a system of government that they believed worked. Where you had three co-equal branches of government. None was superior than the other. But they were very clear where the powers lay. And what powers and what responsibilities each body had. They were very clear on that. They had the a legislator. Which is Congress. You make the laws. You have the president, the executive who signs the laws. And you have the Supreme Court. If there's any challenges to those laws. Will then rule on whether it's constitutional or not. Three co-equal branches of government. But that is very, very limited in scope. The choice is whether you want to mock or whether you want to start having conversations. And to those who say, John, you can't have a conversation with a liberal. I say this. Are there some liberals out there, as someone who's tried to engage with people on all sides, is it hard to have a conversation these days? Yes. You may get nine or ten no's before you get even a glimmer of even a reasonable conversation. And one thing I've tried to do is I try to have private conversations with people. Because I this idea of having a public conversation with people, I, I really have turned off it. Because everyone then chimes in and eventually some person will just come in and make an insult. And then it gets to a point where it's just insults and nothing of substance is discussed. So when I see someone post something on my comments and it actually looks like something that wants to have a conversation, I'll drop them a message and go, hey, can we talk about this privately so no one else is involved? And make the case. But you have to understand one fundamental thing. A lot of these people on all sides of the aisles... Because I see things very different. If you listen to this show, you know this. I'm not a Republican. I, maybe you can make an argument. I'm somewhat conservative or somewhat libertarian. I'm not liberal, unless you believe in classic liberalism. So I'm very different. A lot of people have a lot of opinions, and they have them for the longest period of time. You have to understand one thing when you engage with them. That there's a good chance, 99.9999% of the time, you can make the best argument with the best facts or the best figures, and everything being as tight as possible. 
it'll take them time to change their ways. Because that's all they know. Being a Democrat is all they know. If you think in one conversation with you that lasts 5, 10, 20, even an hour or two, which some of the conversations I've had have lasted an hour or two, even longer. If you think you can erase 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of precedent and, you know, the way they know things by one conversation with you, you're delusional. It takes time. So be, be prepared to agree to disagree and have further conversations. Now, I know people say that will never work. Well, what's the alternative? A civil war? To those who say that and who are Christians, this is all I can say. Can you imagine how this world would have changed out if Abraham hadn't begged God to save Sodom? Bear in mind, he saved it for ten. Abraham started high and just worked his way down. Well, if I can find if I can find a thousand good people, I'll save it. If I save five hundred, I'll save it. If I save a hundred, I'll save it. Eventually, got him down to ten. Okay, I'll save it if you find me ten good people. Are you telling me there's not ten good Democrats you can have a conversation with? The choice is: do we mock or have conversations? Do we try and build bridges or do we just stay divided? Or do we try and work for a better future or do we just give up and have this second civil war which some people are anticipating and will probably grow over the next period of time? That's the choice you have ahead of you, America. I'm not an American, so what my opinion means absolutely nothing. But I know what side would I be pushing for behind this microphone. I'd be pushing for the side of, let's reason, let's reach out, let's have conversations. Sure, a lot of them won't work and some of them will end in insults, that's okay, I'm able for that. But let's make the case for limited government, for the constitution, for freedom. They're the only things that matter, they are eternally true. When we come back, America, I want to talk to you about something rather different, don't go anywhere. This is Freedom's Disciple. With Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Uh, they're terrorizing people who are coming to this country. What? They're Terrorized. They're terrorizing people that are coming to this country. ICE is enforcing the law. And what other terrorist ways? I mean, I know the big one right now, the claim is, well, separating children. Oh, and now they're locking children up yep. with their parents because they're not separating. Mm-hmm. How is that terrorizing people? The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me today, America. I hope today's show has given you given you plenty to think about. Um, if you happen to listen to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or any other platform that can that leaves you the option to leave a review, please leave a, a review. I know Casbah does it well. Leave a comment. Um, we're, we're really when you leave reviews and when you leave a rating, it increases your algorithm of some description and it gets you up higher so that more people can find this show so if you could i'd really appreciate it i want to finish off today's show by just talking to you about something different and it kind of alludes to what we've spoken about for today's show 
how many times do you engage with someone who has a total different worldview than you, has a different label, and do you just go by what you think they stand for? Or do you ever ask them what they stand for? Because let me give you an example. And I don't listen to me and let me give you my rationing. In many ways, personally, and this is true, in many ways I'm an environmentalist. In many ways, I'm an environmentalist. Now, if I said that just as a general term, and I went, hey, I'm an environmentalist, to most of my conservative friends, they'd unfriend me, they'd go, oh my God, I never thought you were a greenie, and all this different stuff. You can imagine all the comments. Let me explain to you why I'm an environmentalist. And see where my logic falls down. See, do you agree with any of this? Now, before we get into the the neat weeds of this, I'm going to tell you what I'm not. I'm not for global warming. I don't believe in man-made global warming. It's just not happening. But I do believe we have to care for our environment. So a lot of my environmental policies, I believe, stem from nature's law. Let me give you some of them. One of the things I believe, we can learn so much from other cultures. And the only culture I know that gets it right regards animals is usually Native tribes, Native Americans, Aborigines. They believe in if you kill an animal, that an animal is a, a, a creature of God, a, 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 has something special and unique in it. And if you kill it, it should be for two reasons. One, food. Two, protection. Like if you're afraid of for whatever reason. But if you do kill that animal, you have a responsibility, yes, a responsibility to that animal to use absolutely every part of that animal. You don't waste it. You know, you use its fur, its skin for clothing or bedding. You use its meat for, for food. You use its bones and, you know, different parts of it for stocks and for, you know, sauces. You use its blood for, you know, different things. I know some people, you know, use blood and they drink the blood when they kill an animal. That's a bit too much for me. But I believe in that principle of if you don't use it, you should give it to someone else to use. Where you eat, you know, what some people call over here the offal. You know, the, the liver and the kidneys and the heart. Even the brains. But you should not waste any of that animal. If you have killed that animal, you have a responsibility to that animal to not cast it away. To give that life meaning. Because it keeps you warm, it nourishes you, it feeds you, it looks after your family. I see so many people today just, you know, are so ignorant of the farming process and of the hunting process, where they're like, oh, that's a piece of meat, I'll throw it away. I've seen this many times, I, this disrespect of the animal, you know, one of the times I see it all the time is when I go out, the few times I go out, if I have a steak, I'll always ask for it like medium rare. There have been times, many times, a lot of people can't cook a medium rare steak. I struggle to do it myself because I don't have it very often. But when you go to a restaurant, a lot of people, chefs, can't cook a medium rare steak. They'll overcook it invariably. People have said to me, send that back. No. I'll eat it. Because that animal died first. It's on the chef that he didn't cook it right. But the reason I don't throw it back and people just go discard it is because if I gave it back to the restaurant... The restaurant would go, oh, I'm very sorry about that. I'll get you another medium rare steak and would throw that in the bin. Part of the animal has died for nothing. 
That's why I don't waste food, even if it is badly overcooked. Because that you have a responsibility to that animal. So that's the first reason I'm an environmentalist. I don't believe in government mandates, but I do believe in self-made quotas where you have an agreement among your people. Like if you have a shortage of fish or in a local lake or in you know shortage of animals, it's not smart to hunt them. Been this type of person, I am fundamentally against you know trophy hunting for what for the lack of a better term. You know, you see some of these people go out to the you know Sahara and Middle East, and they literally will kill a rhino for its horns or an elephant for its tusks, and then you just see the 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 body there just rotting. I think that's immoral. I think that goes against the laws of nature. That would probably make me an environmentalist to some. Second reason I'm an environmentalist, quote unquote, even though I don't use labels, is I actually believe in recycling. That was one of the things I loved about America, old school America. Remember old school America where you built things to last? Where you actually like built muscle cars? Where it would la- you know, you see I I don't get to watch much TV, but I love it when I do when I when I watch History Channel, you know, like counting cars or American pickers sometimes get them. Where you see these cars that were built in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. And they're, if they're looked after and maintained, they still go today. They still look beautiful. They are built to last. You don't throw anything out. Some people might say that's a bit of hoarding, but I don't care what you call it. I believe in it. I believe in recycling. This culture that we have today where we are, hey, I'll use something and then I'll just throw it away when it you know, lives its usefulness. And I'll get a newer version in six months or a year. I don't think that's cool. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying there should be a law banning it. I'm just saying, as an individual, I don't think it's cool. But I'm also conscious of two facts that don't ever change. We live in a world that is the same size, roughly, and likely will always be the same size. What that means is two things. One... There's only a certain amount of resources that you will have on a given year. You know, things like, if you look like paper, I believe in recycling paper, for example. You know, there's only a certain amount of trees to give you a certain amount of paper. And trees don't just, you don't just sort of go, oh, there's a tree. Cut it down. It takes a lot of years to, for that tree to grow. I believe in recycling. Because there's only a certain amount of resources. And the fundamental fact, if you can reuse something, why wouldn't you? Why discard it? But secondly, because, again, the world is the same size and roughly will be the same size going forward unless there's some scientific evidence I've never seen, it makes only sense to, you know, limit the amount of trash that you have. Now, again, I want to be very clear. I'm not for federally mandating this. If you think, oh, John's environmentalist, he's going to tell... No, I'm not going to tell you how to live. But I'm going to try and give you an example of, you know, why it's better to live this way. Fundamentally understanding the less trash you put into a ground fill, the better. Especially when you consider the amount of people that live in this world. And that population is only growing up. Sound advice, let's have less trash. These are some of the reasons I'm an environmentalist. I'm sharing this story for two reasons. One, because 
you know, today's been another heavy show and I wanted a lighter topic. Two, because I was trying to say, how ca- there was a story I want to share with you that, just for f- kicks and giggles, which I don't know whether you've seen or not, because I know a lot of you have been, you know, on vacation this week with Independence Day. But there's this terrorist group in in part of the world, and it's called Al-Shabaab. We've spoken about them in the past, and they've become the first terrorist group this week to uh, to be eco-friendly, to ban single-use plastic bags. It's nice to know the terrorists care about something rather than killing people, huh? It's nice to know that, you know, while they're killing and enforcing their will on other people, that they're at least environmentally friendly. It looks like terrorists have something in common with a lot of our friends on the left, huh? On a serious note, I'm not for banning anything. What I am for is making the case. I believe in being eco-friendly. You know, I see some of the... I'm not going to even speak about world. I'm just going to speak about some of the, the beaches in Ireland. They're not exactly nice places, some of them. Some of them are really filthy. I see people going to all these beaches and different tourist spots, especially now in the summer, because we've had a really lot of good weather over the last three weeks. Like, it's been in in the 80s a lot, where they're just dumping on, throwing all their trash away, just throwing it on the side. Coffee cups, plastic bottles, cigarettes, chewing gum, food. I think that's wrong. just think it's immoral. I don't think it goes along with the laws of nature. I think you have to have respect for where you've been. But I don't believe in making these by laws. I believe how you make real change is not through law. It's not through campaigning a government to do certain things. It's by living a certain lifestyle, by leading by example, and making the argument of why you should do something. Through corporate responsibility, where you don't have a law that says companies have to operate a certain way, you just make the case, and they do. And be understanding that if they don't, if they think you're full of horse crap, or they don't care, that's okay. Move on to the next company. Don't enforce your will. Don't boycott them because they don't go with your way of thinking. I believe this is very much, if I may dare say, an American way of doing things. Changing the world by your people. Changing the world by your people. Now, I know there's a lot of people who will try and tie me in. If you don't like me, throw me in with a load of other environmentalists who believe in global warming, who believe in lying about, you know, all this waste that's in the Great Pacific Waste. That's two times the size of Texas, which, you know, I think it was Slade said it was a lie this week. I'm not like any of them. I am not like any of the modern-day environmentalists where I'm like, you know, you have to have a, a a certain lifestyle or you have to have a certain amount of energy or you have to have pass all these laws. I don't support any of them. But also, just to finish off on one point, this battle that I see so many people... This battle that people love to portray of, you know, well, I'm for solar energy. I'm, a, I'm an environmentalist. I love solar energy and renewable energy. So, you know, fossil fuels are the enemy. And there seems to be some people on the, the opposite side who are like, fossil fuels are awesome. They're just the only way. This divide of where you constantly have to be at each other. My energy policy is all of the above. Honestly, I don't care where I get my energy from. If it's the best and most efficient. If we can make fossil fuels, which we have done, by the way. You know, you look at, and I was just talking, having a conversation with someone about this the other day. 
I remember when I was growing up, you would see cars, you know, if you were driving behind them in a long time, 10, 15 years ago, where cars, like, would be bellowing big black, big bits of smoke. And you could clearly see the impact on the environment. I drove a lot last week. Didn't see one car issuing smoke. Fuel efficiency has gotten better. Cars have got better. Why? Because technology has got better. But... If you can make my house powered on solar panels, and it's cheap, and it's the most cost-effective and the best way, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be like, oh, no, I need fossil fuels. I need oil. I need gas. I need coal. Give me solar energy. If you come up with a nuclear plan, I know that will never happen because politicians would lose their ever-loving mind. But if you had nuclear energy, I'm good with that. If you had wind energy, good with that. I don't care. If you can come up with some other battery... I know, like, Elon Musk is coming up with this big battery. I don't care. Energy policy is not, I'm for fossil fuels or I'm for renewable energy. It's for whatever's best. And let the individual free market work. Let innovation work. Let people decide. If you want to have fossil fuels, go for it. If you want to have renewable energy, go for it. If you want to have a combo, go for it. But this idea that we have to have one way or the highway... This idea of enforcing your will, regardless of whether you agree with me or disagree with me, I, I'm not for that. I believe the power should be with you. Going back to where we started, I am not for imposing my will on anyone else. If you believe in anything that I have spoken about, let's try and make the arguments together or against each other or whatever way it is. Let's try and make the argument. Let's try and win the argument. Let us try and have a better tomorrow. And how we have a better tomorrow is regardless of your ideology, it's not imposing your will on the other. That is not how we have a bright tomorrow. That just has another tyrant. Because here's the spoiler alert, as I said in the first segment of the show about Ireland. My tyrant may be better than your tyrant, but he's still a tyrant. The answer is not my tyrant or your tyrant. The answer is liberty. The answer is freedom. The answer is leaving the individual to hell alone. The answer is enforcing the individual with their rights and their responsibilities to society. Something just to think about this Independence Day weekend. I hope today's show has given you plenty to think about. As always, we finish the show this week the way we do each and every week by saluting the real heroes in society, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your veterans. You know, the men and women who... Fight for your freedoms and our freedoms each and every day to make our world a better place. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. As the Tocqueville once, the sentiments of the Tocqueville once said, America is great because Americans are good. Never ever forget that. America is great because Americans are good. Until next week, it's Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, on exclusive to the Blaze Radio Network. You have yourself a beautiful and blessed week. God bless and God bless America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.